Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. This is where our study is going to come from. For the night. Well, Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to continue our worship of you by studying your word. We pray for understanding. I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit. I pray for the ability to rightly divide your word of truth. I pray, Lord, that I would decrease and you increase. And I pray for your people under the sound of my voice, Father, that you would answer prayers, that you would encourage, that you would strengthen, that you would bless, that you would even convict us if necessary, Father. And once again, we ask your blessings upon this night and upon every ministry, every teaching that is going on on this campus. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter five. So hopefully you, you swipe there. You Open up your tablet, whatever you have there, or your paper Bibles. Okay, so you got your finger there on verse one. And just hold it there for a minute because I'm not going to read it right away. But I do want to bring our attention to the fact that many of us have overlooked things that we were looking for. And those things were right under our noses. I remember at times I had my keys in my hand, but yet still I'm walking around the house looking for my keys. Or maybe I'm on the cell phone, walking around with my cell phone, even talking on the cell phone, the speaker part and looking for my cell phone. And so we look for things that are sometimes right under our noses. And so to use a word that is in our title for tonight, we overlook things. That we're looking for because we're we're looking in different places. We're looking far and wide where those things are very near. And the crazy thing about it is the time that we spent looking for these lost things that were near to us, that we were holding. Some of you are probably looking for your baseball caps and it's right on your heads or glasses and but the thing is, the time we spend looking for those things that were near, they, they actually cause a setback. And what we were trying to do, they cause a setback in our schedule many times. And, and when we found those things, we, we, we felt both silly and relieved at the same time. But I wonder tonight if there's some mission fields Now we're getting to the nitty gritty tonight. We're getting to uh, the, the spiritual lesson tonight. I wonder if we overlook our mission fields. Just like we overlook those keys or glasses or even cell phones. We overlook them because we're. We're looking in places where those mission fields are. Not necessarily for us. And speaking individually, I'm talking about you as an individual believer. 
And the mission field is where we are assigned. We're assigned to that place. We're assigned to that group of people in order to share Christ with them and to make disciples of them, according to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. And tonight, the goal is that as we study God's word, as we study his word from the Bible, the goal is to get refocused on our mission field that many of us have been perhaps overlooking. And we're going to come across an interesting story about a demon-possessed man. And God is going to use this lesson to teach us a lesson about our personal mission field and, and get us refocused. Where, where are we supposed to be? Where are we supposed to be serving? And so in verse 1 of Mark chapter 5, it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country or, or the region of the Gadarenes or the region of the Gerasenes. Now, in our previous lesson, if you remember, Jesus and the disciples, they left the region of Galilee, perhaps the city of Capernaum or somewhere near Capernaum by the sea. And as Jesus and the disciples went on their way by boat, to the region of the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes, there was a storm. There were waves. They were, they were beating upon the, the boat. Water was, was filling up the boat and the disciples were afraid and Jesus was asleep. And of course, the disciples woke him up and Jesus rebuked the winds and that storm went away. The waves subsided. And so even before that mission from the region of Galilee to the other side, even before that, Jesus told them, he, he gave them a promise and a command. Let's go to the other side. And the other side, of course, is the region of the Gadarenes or Gerasenes was opposite the, the region of Galilee, which is in northern Israel. But the exact location of the Gadarenes, of course, is uncertain. But what we do know is that it was on the other side of perhaps Capernaum. And here in verse one, we see that they arrived. They made it through the storm and they arrived in the region of the Gadarenes. Now, Bible scholars have wrestled with whether the text should read the country of the Gerasenes or Gadarenes. And I have to address this because I know many of you are Bible scholars. So when you get home and you start reading this, you're going to see different information. And so I have to address the use of Gerasenes or Gadarenes and why some Bible scholars prefer one over the other. And so to address that, I'll share with, I'll share what one of the sources wrote. And he said that Gadara 
may have been the capital of the region. And Matthew, therefore, referred to the area as the country of the Gadarenes because the people of that region, whether they lived in Gadara or not, were identified as Gadarenes. But Mark and Luke were perhaps giving a more general reference to the country of the Gerasenes. It's the other name. And that was a wider area in which the incident in tonight's lesson occurred. But according to this source that I use tonight, it seems that the best textual evidence is in favor of Gadara. And so if you get to that part in your personal studies, you'll, you'll, you'll understand now that that's probably the, the term that is best used, Gadara, or the country of the Gadarenes, according to this scholar here and, and other scholars. And so in verses two through five, it says, and when Jesus had come off the boat, come out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind this man, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles, that is shackles for the feet, and he's been bound with chains often. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles were broken in pieces and neither could anyone tame him or, or control this man. And the scriptures tell us in verse five that and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and he was cutting himself with stones. This man with this unclean spirit, a demon within him. And so we want to examine the details of this demon possessed man to get a clearer view of his condition. And I want to use the other synoptic gospels. These are the gospels with the same point of view, so to speak. That is uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so in Matthew eight twenty eight, it has this same story. Except in Matthew 8, it says that there were two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs. So, Darrell, is this a contradiction because it's talking about one in Mark and in Luke? No, it's not a contradiction. It's simple math. Wherever there is two, there are two, there's one. But, but why mention the one only in Mark and in Luke? Well, that's because Mark and Luke only focused on, on the one that stood out. He stood out more than the other demon-possessed man. That's why. And so that's one thing I want to point out, is that there were actually two, but again, one stood out more. But then as you see in our text here in, in verse 2, this demon is called an unclean spirit. As opposed, of course, to the Holy Spirit. And Luke chapter 8, 27 says that this man had demons for a long time and, and he wore no clothes. This man was naked amongst the tombs. As you can see, this man also has supernatural strength. As it tells us in Mark chapter 5, verse 4, supernatural strength. 
breaking shackles and breaking chains. And he often would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. Self-mutilation caused by this demon or demons, as we'll see later, that were inside of him. And so I want to dwell on the point right now that, that this man was uncontrollable. They couldn't tame this man. And I want to park here at this point about this demon-possessed man because this is a picture of a person without Christ. This is a picture of a person who was ruled by his or her sin nature. That doesn't mean that every person who doesn't have Christ is demon-possessed. It doesn't mean that, but that sin nature is brutal. That sin nature is a monster. And nobody can control that, that sin nature. Just like nobody could control this, this demon-possessed man. And I don't care if you use human philosophy I don't care if you create more laws in the land, in the country, in the city, in the state. It will not control the sin nature of a person. As a matter of fact, God's law is holy and God's law couldn't even change a person's heart. Because God's law pointed to the fact that man is sinful and needs a savior, but it could not help a person to be born again. All it could do is show us our sinful state and point us to Jesus. And so not even the law of God can can tame the sin nature, can tame a person who is ruled by the sin nature, just like that man who was demon possessed could not be controlled. But then another point I want to dwell on is the fact that this man dwelt among the tombs. You see, these tombs were probably burial places that were built above the ground. In fact, they were probably more like natural caves in the hillside. And these cave tombs would would have two chambers one of which will remain empty as long as relatives were still alive. And such tombs like this, these burial caves, they were used as shelter by lepers, demoniacs or demon-possessed people, or the poor. And so this man lived among these tombs, these burial caves, I just want to submit to you that there's many today who are living among the tombs. They are living in graveyards. Maybe not literally, but because of their lack of relationship with God through Christ, they're physically living, but spiritually dead. So literally dead people living like they're dead, living among the tombs hanging around people who are also dead, spiritually speaking. And so you have this man living among the tombs. And some of us were the same way. Many people today are like this. And you can see in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which 
You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. And so we too used to live amongst the tombs, used to live amongst the dead. We ourselves were dead, living like dead people. According to the course of this world, the scripture says, according to the prince, listen, of the power of the air, which speaks to the fact that, that, that Satan is a ruler in the unseen world. Yes, he's a spiritual ruler. But the thing is, he's not omnipresent because he's not God. And, but he has an army of demons. And where it says that he, that he now works in the sons of disobedience doesn't mean that, that every person, once again, just to reiterate, doesn't mean that every person who's not saved is demon-possessed, but he influences the world system. He influences those who do not have the Holy Spirit within them. He appeals to the sin nature and all the unsaved person can do is give in to their sin nature because they're not born again. Having received a new birth, no new nature. But in verse six, it says that when this this demon possessed man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshiped or knelt down before Jesus. And he cried out with a loud voice and he said, what have I to do with you? In other words, what business do we have in common with each other? Son of God. Jesus, son of the most high God. In fact, he says, I implore you. By God, that you do not torment me. For Jesus said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And Luke chapter 8, verse 29 says that the spirit had often seized him, had often controlled this man, and he was kept under guard. He was bound with chains and, and shackles, and he broke the bonds, and he was driven by the demon into the wilderness, it tells us in Luke eight twenty nine. And then he asked him, Jesus asked this man, Speaking to the demon, really, he says, what is your name? And this demon answers, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, this demons or demons, they begged Jesus earnestly that he was not send them out of the country or region. I like what it says in Luke 8, verse 31, gives us a little more detail. It says that they begged Jesus that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now, a large herd of swine in verse 11, back in Mark 5, they were feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged Jesus saying, send us into the swine, the pigs, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits, they, they went out of this man and they entered the swine. And there were about 2,000 swine. 
in verse 13. And, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and they drowned in the sea. And so this demon answered Jesus and said that his name is Legion. That's interesting because a Roman legion of soldiers consisted of about 6,000 men. Now, does it mean that, that, that this man has 6,000 demons inside of him? But the point is that there were many demons inside of this man. Oh, and they begged Jesus too. They begged him, please don't send us out of the country, recognizing his authority. Please. Don't send us into the abyss, but allow us to enter the swine. Now, what is this abyss? Now, this comes from a Greek word that is abusas. And it's a very deep gulf in the lowest part of the earth or the center of the earth. And this abyss is the bottomless pit where demons are kept incarcerated until judgment comes. Until they're cast into Gehenna or hell or the lake of fire, which would be the place of the final incarceration. And so this abyss is the remote opposite of heaven. And in fact, as you read the book of Revelation, you'll see that there's some demons that are already in the abyss. But obviously not all of them are there because they're still running rapid. And we know that because we are in a spiritual battle, we're in spiritual warfare. And so they were saying, don't don't send us to that bottomless pit. It is that same bottomless pit, by the way, that Satan will be cast into. In fact, there's going to be an angel, Revelation chapter 20, at the end of the tribulation period. And he's going to come. He's going to lock up Satan and, and, and chain him and, and incarcerate him in this bottomless pit. And he's going to be there for all 1,000 years that Christ is literally reigning on the earth. Then it says he'll be let loose. And after that, he's going to deceive nations and so forth. And then he's going to receive his final incarceration in the lake of fire or Gehenna. But these demons already, they were like, please don't send us to that bottomless pit. Again, that same one that Satan is going to be in for some time. Now, these pigs. These pigs that they were permitted to enter. Many Bible teachers believe that the, the people who were raising these pigs for money were Jews who were in a Jewish community in this Gentile region. And if so, according to the scriptures, they, they were raising unclean animals according to their dietary law. But of course, not all Bible teachers are sure that these Jews were, were owners of the pigs. They believe that, that some of them believe that these were Gentile owners. But nevertheless, we can learn something from this situation with these demons and the herd of swine. And something that we can learn from these demons and this herd of swine is that the enemy is looking for an opportunity to destroy something. Jesus, if you're going to cast us out of this man, then at least allow us to go into the swine 
And so they were bent upon destruction of something. They did not want to remain idle. And the interesting thing about these pigs reaction is that it gave a picture of the inner torture that this man was going through for this long period of time. And as we walk around this, this earth, in our communities, in our schools, in our places of employment, even in the church, there are some people who are going through torture, maybe not demon-possessed, but if you're a believer, believers can be demon-oppressed. And there's some people who are being tortured and, and maybe we don't see it. Maybe they're smiling in our faces and maybe we don't see what they're going through behind closed doors. We don't see the pain that is within them as they writhe in pain emotionally and mentally from demonic attack. But these pigs that ran off this cliff, these 2,000 pigs that ran off, they gave a picture of, of how much torture this man was going through. And demons are alive today, of course, and they attack people today. Yes, they can possess people, but for believers, they, they can't oppress, as I mentioned earlier. And so what I want you to take from this is that, that we don't know the half of the story that some people are going through. But, but, but these pigs, the way they reacted to this demonic possession just showed you a little bit of touch of, of the torment that this man experienced. And these demons, these demons are just, they're looking for destruction. And Jesus Share something with us. He gives us an inside scoop in Luke chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, obviously this would be an unsafe person. Then he, this unclean spirit, he goes through dry places and he, he's seeking rest and he finds none finds no place of rest. And so the demon says, I'll return to my house. I'll return to that same unsafe person from which I came. And when he comes, he, he finds it swept and put in order. Then this demon goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. It's very important. For people to allow the Holy Spirit to, to occupy their lives. I heard one Bible teacher say or read that one Bible teacher said that the Holy Spirit does not rent out space. And, and so if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit within you. There's no demon possession that can take place. The Holy Spirit, God, does not rent out space. You're his. You are sealed. But oppression, is that, a is that possible? Yes, it is. The scriptures teach that. We're in spiritual battle. But the question is, are, are, you, are you opening up the door for the devil and his demons to enter or to oppress you? Are you leaving that door open? And how can people leave that door open? Well, through participating in the occult. Messing around with Ouija boards and, and stuff like that. Mess, messing around with this new age stuff. Idol gods. 
superstitious stuff and rejecting God and giving yourself over to sin. When, when people participate in those things, they, they are inviting demons to the party. And so are you opening the door for the devil and his demons to enter in your situation, to enter into your life? To, pre- to prevent that, if you're an unbeliever at this point, receive Christ. The Holy Spirit will, will enter and greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, the scriptures tell us. Verses 14 and 15, it says, so those who fed the swine fled and, and they told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion that he was sitting and he was clothed and this man was in his right mind. And those who saw it, they told them how it happened to him who had been demon possessed and they told them about the swine, these pigs. Then they, that is the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes, they began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. All these people, they were more concerned about their prophet from the pigs than they were about this man who had been tortured by demons for a long time. More concerned about money than than somebody who was made in the image of God. Oh, Jesus was not good for business. They told him to depart. And there are some people today that have this same mindset that, that Jesus is not good for business. For, for certain industries, to them, he is not good for business. When, when they mention Jesus, oh, they're going to think that we are intolerant. They're going to think we're biggest. And so we want to take Jesus off of our name. Oh, we, want to, we don't want to mention the Bible. And so for certain industries, he's not good for business. For certain entertainers who, who say the right things, but all of a sudden they get blasted. And, and, and people who are living in sin, they, they blast them because of their biblical point of views. And now they backpedal, they backpedal and now they find themselves apologizing because they see or they think that, that he's not good for business. Even some employers To them, he's not good for business. I I know speaking to their employees that that, that you go to church and all, but but, but leave the Jesus stuff alone. Leave leave it out of here, some would say, in some relationships that we have, people we have relationship with, people who used to be our best friends. For them, it is not good for business to proclaim that we serve Christ. You see, not everyone, not everyone will be happy for the person who gives their life to Christ. Not, not everyone will be happy for you who've been delivered from hell, who's been li- delivered from sin and the devil. Not everyone will be happy for you. They're going to say things like, oh, you've changed. You're not as fun as you used to be. You're not as cool as you used to be. I remember we used to do this and that. You'll be ridiculed. Just not good for business. In some people's eyes. And so they would rather get rid of Jesus. And when he got into the boat in verse 18, he who had been demon possessed begged Jesus that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. In other words, go go home to your own people. 
Return to your own house, it says in Luke 8, 39. And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. Tell them how he had compassion on you. And this man who used to be possessed by demons, it says that he departed and he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. You see, Jesus left. He, he listened to their requests. And people need to be careful that if you tell the Lord to leave or you don't want any part of what he's doing. Be careful. He just might give you what you wish. He'll move his hand of protection, his hand of blessings. They, they asked him to leave the school and he removed his hand of blessing from the schools. And so you have more school shootings and all this craziness going on in public schools. You ask him to leave. He just might give in to your request because he's a gentleman. He doesn't force anybody to do anything that is against your will including heaven. If a person does not want to go to heaven, he's not going to force you to go to heaven. If that's against your will. The scriptures even tell us in in Romans chapter one, he'll even give people up to their vile passions. If they keep rejecting him, they keep saying no to Jesus. They keep saying no to God. If that's the way you want to live, he's going to be hands off. And it's not that he's approving of it. It's a sign of Judgment won't force anybody to do anything against their will, just like he did with Pharaoh. It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But if you read the text carefully, you'll see that Pharaoh hardened his heart first. And so God was like, if you want to harden your heart, then I will strengthen you in your position. And that's how some people are today. You reject Christ. You don't want Jesus. Okay, hands off. I'll leave. I'll go in another boat. And I'll go back to where I came from. And you see Jesus doing that. This man wanted to stay with Jesus, but Jesus said, you know what? No, you stay here. You you tell people about what God has done for you. Tell them about the compassion, the mercy that God has had upon you. And as we see in the scripture, this man, he he shared his Jesus-centered message in Decapolis. And that just means 10 cities. It was a region in the southeast of the, of the Sea of Galilee. It was to the southeast of it. And so there had many, they had many Gentiles there. And so this, this man who was formerly demon-possessed is essentially sharing Jesus with a group of Gentiles in the 10 cities in Decapolis. And many of us today are are like this man who used to be demon possessed. You see, he wanted to go to Jesus. He wanted to cross over perhaps to the other side. He wanted to go somewhere else other than his hometown. Oh, Jesus, you're, you're leaving. You're getting in the boat. They told you to leave. You're leaving with your disciples. I want to go with you. Oh, some of us are like that. We're looking off into some far off land to witness. Oh, Lord, please send me to Africa. Please send me to China. And if you're requesting that, that's a bold prayer. 
Severe persecution there, but if the Lord called you there, praise the Lord. But, but some of us are, are, are wanting to go off to these far off lands, even different states. We'll spend years in prayer about where to serve or, or God, what is my mission field? Where do you want me to witness? But our mission field is often right under our noses. Our mission field, number one, is in our own homes. First and foremost, or, or in our current place of employment or community within our own family or in our direct sphere of influence at work or at school. Wherever it may be, where God has placed us right now on our team, that is often our first mission field. And some of us overlook our mission field. Some of us overlook our assignment. We can see needs in, in far off places, but we don't see the needs right under our noses. Oh, we're talking about the overlooked mission field tonight. And maybe, maybe the Lord just wants you to share within your immediate sphere of influence, within your own home, within your own biological family. Maybe the Lord just wants you to share what the Lord has done for you and his compassion towards you. Or He's not saying you have to go to seminary. He's not saying that you have to go to Bible college. He's not saying that you have to give a one hour or two hour dissertation about the gospel. Or maybe the Lord just wants us, just with the people in our immediate sphere of influence, maybe he just wants to share, wants us to share what he has done for us. You see, this, this man in the lesson, he, no, he didn't have a degree. He didn't receive any training. He didn't spend as much time with Jesus as the disciples did. But one thing that he knew is what Jesus had, do, had done for him. He knew what Jesus did for him. And guess what? People could not deny that. They've seen him in his worst position, in his worst state. They can't deny that this man has been changed. They can't deny that Jesus indeed has done something for this man. And guess what? People cannot deny our personal testimony. They cannot deny what Jesus had did for us, had done for us. They cannot deny that. And although most of us were never possessed by a demon, we can still relate to this man. And we can share the, the blessing of being saved by Jesus. You see, this man, of course, was in pain. He was tormented. I'm sure he shared that, that he was in pain. Oh, I was writhing and I was tormented. I can imagine he was share. I was separated from friends. I was separated from families. I can imagine this, this man sharing with people. I could imagine he was saying I was harming myself. I, I was almost com- at the point of committing suicide. I can imagine this man saying and, and many people today, I can imagine them saying the same thing before Christ. That they've been in that position of being tortured, of, of some even going to the point of almost committing suicide. Oh, this man was was naked. He was un, he, he was unclothed. Many of us were in that position. Maybe we were not unclothed physically, literally, but spiritually speaking. But now as we look at this man, instead of running wild, we see this man because of Jesus. Now he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's sitting in a 
position of submission and in a position of being a learner. And that's us. Once we were untamable, we were uncontrollable. Our sin nature just taken over, being disobedient to God, going in the way of the world. But now we find ourselves because of being born again, because of Jesus. Now we are in a place of submission. We're in a position of being a learner, a disciple. And so just like this man shared, some of us are sharing the same thing. Like this man and Instead of being naked in our guilt and shame, like this man was physically naked. Oh, now this man is clothed in the righteousness of God that comes by faith. And we have that same testimony that we can share with our family that, that, hey, I was once full of guilt. I was once filled with condemnation. I was once on my way to hell, but, but, but now I am clothed with the righteousness of God through faith. See, Jesus was was made to be sin for us. He was made to be our sin offering so that we can become the righteousness of God in him. Oh, he takes our guilt. He took our shame. He took it upon himself and and then he, he, he traded that with his righteousness into our spiritual account. And so like this man, we can testify that, that we are now clothed with righteousness, that, that now instead of viewing life from a sinful point of view, we, we now have the mind of Christ. We now see things from God's point of view, biblical point of view. And instead of now being used as a tool for Satan, just as that man would say, we are now being used as a tool for God and perhaps our immediately immediate sphere of influence, our mission field. And just like how Jesus crossed over the Lake of Galilee for this man, oh, Jesus crossed over for us. He crossed over from heaven to earth and took upon a body. He did that for us. And guess what? There was no storm. There was nothing physical, nothing in this world that could stop him from saving us. This just like it was no storm or nothing physical, no outside force that can stop him from getting to this man who was demon possessed. There's nothing that can get in the way of Jesus getting to a person to save them. And so we, too, have that same testimony that we can share in our sphere of influence within our family, within our personal Jerusalem, so to speak. As Jesus told the disciples to start in Jerusalem and then go to Judea and then Samaria and then the the other parts of the world. Some of us are overlooking our Jerusalem. We are overlooking our mission field. Seeing needs everywhere else, but the needs right under our noses. As the worship team comes up. Just want to share with you that the mission field where you are needed most. Because because I know some of us are praying, Lord, send me to this place. I want to be a missionary in Hawaii. I'll take one for the team. Some of you are saying. But the mission field where you are needed most is where God assigns you. Now, first mission field is within our homes. 
within our families, within our immediate sphere of influence. For God made you to do what you do at this specific time in that specific place where he has you. And he doesn't make mistakes. And I remember I was talking to a teacher and I, teacher, and I, don't know, I can't remember the story. I remember it, it seemed like he was telling a story of how he was looking out his window and he seen a bunch of poor people out there, homeless people. And, and I remember the, the man, I, this teacher friend, he was, he was sharing that he prayed to God, Lord, why don't you send somebody to help them? And the man told me that God spoke to his heart and said, you go. And I wonder if we're like that today. Maybe we're waiting on somebody else. And we're overlooking the mission field that is right under our noses. I wonder if we're looking far and wide and and missing the opportunity and the assignment that is right there in front of us. Or right here in Queen Creek, right here in Santan Valley. And just like that teacher Friends, share with me. I wonder if just as God was just waiting for him to step up, I wonder if God is just waiting for us to to step up and be involved in our personal mission field. I wonder if you are the one God is waiting for to take the bull by the horns and start witnessing to your family, the ones that we complain about. That old group that we complain about. What if you're the one God is waiting for to step up? What if we're spending a bunch of time in prayer, Lord, send so-and-so to my family member or to this friend or to that co-worker. And maybe God, just like with my friend, is, is saying to you, you go. Could that be the case? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for getting us refocused. Pray, Father, that if we're overlooking any mission fields, any assignments, I pray that you reveal it to us. That you will equip us. That you will prepare us. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here who feels condemned and they're your child tonight. I pray that you would remind them that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if there is sin, they just confess it to you. 
repent and move on. But we thank you, Lord, for this story that you included in your word. What a great lesson for us to take with us about our personal mission field. I pray, Lord, that you bless your people, that you would direct them this week. That you'll open up doors of ministry and witnessing this week, Lord. That you would keep them safe and help them to make wise and safe decisions. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.